0: you got this child at an early age and you're like, hey, make sure to share your toys. And then you jump them into the economic model and you're like, now go fight for it. You're creating these identity crises because those things don't make sense together. And until we remember and insist on an economic model that does not force us to forgo what we all know is true, we are setting people up to assume their neighbor is their competition rather than their partner.
1: Welcome back to The Empire's New Clothes. Today we're speaking with Xavier Ramey. He's the CEO of Justice Informed, and he spends a lot of his time and energy and his team working with corporations who want to become more diverse in their workplace. Before that, he studied economics, so he has this really unique perspective where he's able to talk about race in America, but also the economic frameworks that we all work within and how race fits within all of that. So it's a pretty illuminating conversation. I hope you enjoy. All right, Xavier, welcome. Good to have you here. Thanks, Brad. Glad to be here. Yeah, so I've been preparing a lot for this interview and learning a bit about you, watching some stuff you said, reading some articles, and I actually just found out you used to trade futures at the Chicago (laughs) Mercantile Exchange.
0: You did your homework. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I actually my backgrounds uh, in economics. Uh, My 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 studies have been in economics and I originally started um, fully, you know, uh, full steam ahead on the the let's make some money train. Um, And uh, I used to work at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange for a couple uh, futures trading firms. So that's that's back in the in the in the background of my history. (laughs)
1: <laughs> OK, why don't you lay a little bit out of what you what you do today and um, what makes up a lot of your uh, your time?
0: Yeah, um, well, I haven't strayed very far from, you know, that that background in econ. Uh, today, I lead a social impact consulting firm. It's called Justice Informed. Um, our, our work straddles four different service areas, diversity, equity, inclusion, corporate social responsibility, uh, equity focused philanthropy and uh, community engagement. And uh, we, what we basically do is, is what all consultants do, which is uh, we sell ideas that become strategies. Um, and so in that our work is to have a, a real mastery around words and understand how words become ideas and how ideas become narratives. And mm-hmm. when we believe certain narratives, they allow for certain strategies to be possible in the world. Um, Most consulting and most of the work of creating the American world, the America as a world, as a community, has been through the lens of uh, particularly what white men feel the world should be and what problems are. And as consultants of mostly uh, black and brown and and LGBTQ and and other minoritized and marginalized identities uh, being the base of our team, we've got a different opinion about what the world can and should be. And uh, we also have some ideas to share. We have some narratives that don't align with what uh, the narratives we've inherited uh, tend to sound like about us as minoritized Hmm. and marginalized people. So we work with organizations, uh, small nonprofits, we work with Fortune 500s, family foundations and and global philanthropies, uh, all types of folks uh, who are interested in having a different conversation about social impact a different conversation about what types of ideas and narratives should drive the strategies, and are also interested in bringing in people whose lives are, are, are directly impacted by the strategies we're talking about, rather than people who study us in the books or watch us on television. Um, we're looking to own the means of production for our intellectual capital and labor, and also uh, distribute it equitably amongst those people who are here, which is why the way that Justice Informed is set up as a social enterprise. Um, is one that doesn't allow for massive wealth accumulation by the CEO. Uh, it doesn't allow for um, certain uh, mechanisms of, of harm, economic or social, uh, to even exist. Um, we're still working on all the nuts and bolts of how do you create a, an equitable company inside a, mm-hmm. a predatory capitalist model um uh and and that's a lot of work (laughs) it's a lot of thinking yes uh but but we're we're not shying away from it that's what we do and we invite other companies and organizations in to do that work as well
1: so what are some of these companies that are approaching justice informed
0: you know i mean just in general i mean it, it it really depends right now the the big wave everyone's talking about is diversity equity inclusion it's this question of how do we uh structurally integrate Um, people who specifically, for the most part, are not white, not male, not not uh, cisgender, perhaps, and also not um, um, uh, straight or or heterosexual into the workplace. How do we integrate them more fully into the workplace? Um, And for a long time, that conversation was a numbers game. Uh, it was just about, well, how do, we re- how do we increase recruitment? How do we bring them in? And then you realize that you're bringing them into places that don't understand them, don't see them, can be either verbally or structurally violent to them. And you end up with a mass exodus of those same people. Um, hmm. We've finally gotten to a point in our society where uh, people are being held publicly accountable for that exodus. Uh, and there's enough conversation amongst people who look like me and other people of color and and people who are women and LGBTQ or indigenous or otherwise, we talk enough to know that we're just not going to work at companies that don't understand, see, or value us. Um, And so the world of diversity, equity, inclusion was birthed. Uh, That's where a lot of folks start approaching justice-informed. We've got a different lens on it. You know, McKinsey and Harvard uh, Business Review have really been the the vanguard of the definition of value and the value proposition for diversity. And it's been around this term, the diversity, uh, the business case for diversity. Um, it's something that at Justice Inform we don't espouse. We do understand, uh, but we don't support. Um, and the reason for that is is the same reason why I would say there shouldn't have been a business case uh, in the first place. It's because there's not an understanding of humanity. There's not a, a centering of uh the human in that conversation it's still this predatory capitalist value of we just want to extract as much value as possible and if treating you better brings more value then let's turn that into a a business proposition that allows us to bring more of y'all in because it's more productive that way At the end of the day, that doesn't mean you value that person. It doesn't mean you truly see them. It doesn't mean you understand why someone like George Floyd was killed. Uh, and that could be any of your black employees. Uh, it doesn't mean any of that. It just means that you understand that when they're here, you can make more money. And I know the numbers make sense, but as a black person, I want to disagree with the value proposition in that way. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, just as, um, an indicator of through your eyes of how society is moving in this direction currently. I do want to get to deeper questions, but I just it's something interviews sometimes because they just get so curious I you mention these things. So yeah, sure. the folks coming to you, are you feeling like it's mostly they're being pushed in your into your doors of like, well man i just want to pay my carbon tax and so i got to pay my carbon tax or i just not go on be diverse i got to get the diversity yeah. in. are they are they walking there like you know what i want to do this
0: it's both it's both brad it's both. um you know it's totally both um there are people who come in you know the way that i think about this this work around social impact is you know we're talking about this back at at at, you know the office you know you know COVID destroyed the office yeah. um uh We think about this like the field of medicine, um, with ourselves being more so uh, doctors and surgeons, um, and people are coming in with incredible emotional and social and psychological organizational change management issues. Um, Some of them are coming in in the ER, right? Like they're getting wheeled in. They're pre or post litigation. They're on the front page of the New York Times for racism stuff, right? Like, like they're it's complete crisis moment. Um, and we have to show up differently for that type of an engagement and that type of a client. Of but that's a, we got to do this type of a person, to your point, right? Or do they
1: have it's to It's existential do it? at that point. for
0: Yeah, it, for it's, it's totally like they're, they're being pressed by the marketplace. They're being pressed by their teams. You know, some of our clients are getting demand letters from their employees, you know, demanding that the executive be fired within seven days. The chair, the board resign. These sorts of things are real. They are happening. Um, like I said, minoritized and marginalized people. Holding these identities are not dealing with the crap anymore. Um, mm. They're not. They're not just going to endure the long pace of justice so that other people can learn about something that's always been true. There are other folks who who come in, and it's more surgical. And I usually tell my team like, this isn't. This is an operating room client. This is a group that knows exactly what the problem is. They're coming in because they're aware they're not there's no there's not a real calamity perhaps but they do want this surgical sort of approach to the issues that they're experiencing around a lack of social impact or a the presence of social turmoil within their institution then there are other folks and we get a ton of these these are people who like there's not really much wrong so to speak but they're just coming in for a general checkup they're just like just you know just like check me out like make sure I'm all good right like I'm just being you know it's my two times a year checkup Um, You know, it's sort of like that. And that's those other folks who I think don't get enough credit, right? Like, you know, when I I, I get approached by a lot of small businesses, a lot of new nonprofits saying like, we don't want to build it wrong. What are some ways to build it right? You know when you're talking about the founder group for you know some vc-backed startup usually it's a bunch of white guys right 90 i think it's 93 cents for every dollar that's invested in the ideas of of vc-backed entrepreneurs goes only to white men's ideas Mm -hmm. 97 cents of every dollar Um, meaning that the rest of the stuff for people like myself and women and other people literally the ideas we have won't be made real in the world and so the world we live in is then created only by this one group of people. Um, that's, but sometimes they break away from that and they say, how do we make sure we focus on equity before we focus on social profit on, on financial profit? How do we make sure we focus on social profit? Um, and there are quite a few of those people and organizations out there.
1: Well, that's an incredible segue because getting to, we're so tired of hearing, oh, the system's broken, blah, blah, blah. What is a it system? Is it It is, it is broken. <laughs> It is broken, but we need to go deeper than that. And and yeah. so first off, what is a system and why must we we live in what what makes these things up?
0: Well, I mean, you, you mean political system, do you mean uh, economic system, uh, social system?
1: Well, c- yeah, let's talk about economic, because as you ended there, you're saying ninety three ninety seven cents every dollar goes to white men and their ideas, what about the other ideas? And if their ideas are the only ideas that percolate and end up creating the system. So let's kind of break that down in a sense of w- what system we're living in currently, perhaps the economic.
0: I mean, the economic model that we exist in, I think is, is, is based on this assumption that um, rich, one, people who are wealthy, wealth is evidence of intelligence, right? Like that fundamentally has to go out the door. But that is part of what we're basing this on, because wealthy people then get to dictate things that have nothing or little to do with financial accumulation like politics, right? The US right now being a functional oligarchy uh, where, where the businesses uh, are, for all intents and purposes, running the government. Um, when we think about what it costs to become president, what it costs, you know, I live in the state of Illinois. Um, the, 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 the primary contenders for governor in the last election were all billionaires. You know, what that means like I mean, like like what does being a billionaire have to do with knowing how to create a system of effective uh, governance? Uh, It it, it doesn't. Um, The last election that we saw where Donald Trump won. Right. It was we want a business run it like a business. Um, But businesses in many ways in a capitalist model are inherently extractive. And oftentimes they're also they also try to be identity agnostic. Meaning that they assume that all labor units are the same and that the social sphere of the world does not exist. This is part of the challenge in traditional market economics where we talk about trickle down or we talk about things like price elasticity. And we then we talk about things like externalities, you know, that that there are things that we simply can't control for. So let's just put a little variable in place there and get back to the math that does work when we only think about it being about white folks. Um, That that's a problem. That's a problem. And as power is organized amongst those minoritized and, and, and marginalized people, um, they do become not just a unnamed variable. Um, they, they, they become a big number in the calculus. And our, our economic model is not set up to understand the power that identity plays uh, in purchasing, uh, in mm-hmm. presence, and also in the safety of brands, um, the safety of the buildings, as we saw when George Floyd was killed. Uh, all 50 states went up in active protest against racism, and the, the first the first folks in the in the in the scope were the businesses. We saw Occupy Wall Street uh, back in 2011, and such. The first folks in the scope, the businesses. Why? Because the way in which they act, this this base principle of 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 ensuring that the means of production are not owned by the people who are producing it. And that long term we have a model that also does not return to those laborers the value of their increases in productivity they experience that over time they see that they know that they know that feeling when you're sitting there and you're you know the the millennials are turning 40 for the first time this year and many of them have a quarter million dollars in debt and no mortgage People can see that when you see that wages are not increasing with productivity and then you see this wealth disparity skyrocket when you see the stock market returns 80% of the all of the investments in the stock market are going to the top 10% of people because those are the folks who are mostly invested in the stock market. So any stock market gain has nothing to do with Main Street like this. This is not sustainable. Um, and as people grow more power in the political space, they grow more power in their communities, they are going to be confronting businesses with their harmful practices that they w- those business owners would likely just say is just business, it's not personal, it is personal. And people take it personally because they bury people because it's personal. They watch their children not have better opportunities because of how your compensation ratios work. They watch women go into the workplace and not be advanced, not because they're not brilliant, but because they have the wrong gender. This sort of a thing, it will not stand much longer. Um, and you know that's part of why I started Justice Informed. It was to accelerate the rate and pace of change of this transition moment in America. I don't think the economic model works. The math doesn't work because it doesn't factor in that people are different, mm-hmm. that they're not labor units, they're humans, they're people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it goes without saying a vast majority of Americans for possibly different um, different observations of theirs, but they feel like the economic model is not working. They might yeah. com- come to different conclusions, but everyone is feeling very similar things. And, and yeah. I'm hearing you describe almost that, correct me if I'm wrong, power amasses power. It's this like the self-fulfilling thing. But on the other side, if swapping that and putting the powerless in power, you, you, you have a new group of people in power over a new group of people without power. So are we as a human race destined to live in this dance of powerful and powerless?
0: Yeah, I mean, first I want to just, you know, something that the author Arundati Roy talks about is this, this, this notion of there being no such thing as people who are voiceless. Um, and this this notion around like powerless people. There there are no powerless people. Um, There are no voiceless people. Um, One thing I often tell our clients is you can't assume that this is a new problem. People have always been resisting the cage. They always resist their chains. You may not be sensitive to how they resist or if they resist, but no human is contained for very long without resistance. Um, And so the first part of justice and equity is understanding how to hear people when they're in pain. And the challenge with our business practices is keeps their ears closed, keeps the hands over the eyes. They refuse to see because it's not about the numbers. They refuse to hear because it's not about the strategy. And so this, this, this challenge around powerlessness and voicelessness, Arundhati Roy talks about, says there's no such thing as, as, as voiceless people. There are the intentionally suppressed or the preferably unheard. And once you, once you tap into that, you see that it really is about, now we're understanding that it is about, truly about this, this dance of power. What you're talking about, it sounds like, is more so this eternal question of are we always doomed to go into this like pattern of um, the people rise up the people rise up we get power oh tyranny 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 despotism <laughs> you know the end yeah, of the new nation. revolution and then the is people just rise a... up. Um, you know like are we in this constant you know sort of 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 uh, pattern of that and i think um, in many ways yeah yeah i ask people all the time you know when will america end and they're like, what do you mean? It's like every nation loses its dominance at some point, right? Great Britain or the UK? <laughs> like, are we talking about, you know, kingdoms again? Um, like, are we talking about, like, everything falls, everything falls. So how does it fall? Um, and I think that part of the, 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 the linchpin is always that they forget that the reason why they started a country was because they wanted a more effective system of equitable relationships to care for people who were not cared for and to bring people into power who had been preferably unheard (laughs) or preferably unheard or intentionally suppressed. And that's forgotten as the generations go on. And people start organizing their own wealth and organizing this and building the system to only benefit their family or their people or people who look like them. They lean into their biases. They activate into discrimination. They move only through uh, you know uh, through prejudices that just unfounded uh, opinions about other people in different identity groups, and it it ends the same. It often ends with collapse, and that collapse can either be violent uh, through war, like a civil war, um, uh, or it can be a takeover. Uh, because you were you were such a divided house that you were then conquerable, but I do think it's do we, inevitable um, because we, we don't to, we don't we don't teach certain things about relationships mm-hmm. and conflict management.
1: And do we need to be worried about that as Americans as we navigate our historic challenge with supremacy of one group of people over others? This, well, this eternal contradiction we were founded right. in of we're all equal, but not.
0: Yeah, I mean, equity is about the accountable and and um, appropriate distribution of resources. And so this, you know, I'm an equity strategist, so I'm always thinking about how to divide the pie more. Right. <laughs> how to bring more people into it versus how to create dominance, which is this question around American superiority and permanence. Right. Should America be dominant? Should we be the number one you know, largest com- country, and our GDP is higher than everyone else, but it's really just because we we, we've organized and taken a lot of other countries' stuff and then activate our government policies and such that we keep other nations down, but we also help charitably. and like. Dominance versus equity is something that we all have to think about. What does it actually take to create and then to sustain an equitable community That includes economic transaction, that includes a social and community space where people are cared for and there is a base level of of human dignity because the government exists to, to assure certain human rights are continued and resourced and that people have an understanding not of how they should be in competition with one another, but how they should be interdependent with one another collectivism versus this independence notion, I think, is where it all starts. Um, the challenge is that other people don't agree with collective, You know, everyone doesn't agree that everyone should agree. <laughs> you know, one of the questions I ask my team all the time is, well, what are we going to do about human ambition? What if we're all equal and we're all free and we're all happy, but then one person has this like iPad in their mind? They don't need an iPad, but they just want they just want it. And they won't stop until they figure out how to get it. How do we create a society that factors that that type of a situation in? Because that's the real world. As we talk about peace and harmony and all this kind of stuff, we cannot talk about it with the naivete that the human spirit is not boundless, that it's not always wondering and wandering and looking and hoping and trying to gather and, and sometimes getting things not knowing the danger of accumulating that type of a thing or going down that 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 line of questioning and and insisting on backing the answer up with a military like these sorts of things they 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 keep me thinking you know Mm because it's like I you know I've dropped all these words it's not sustainable and capitalism this and all of that and it's like yeah but there's also like people who love war there's people who love competition they wake up to compete they don't want to share they want to win like that's real, and that's why I go back to, yeah, I do think it's inevitable that things fail and fall um because we haven't found a way to convince those people that peace and 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 integration and harmony is actually more beneficial because it's more sustainable
1: so on that on that note, i'm I see there's these this is oversimplistic, but i I want to paint it this way to help flesh out these these ideas of. In one hand, there's a nation where the very beating heart is the ideology of an individualism and linear progress. Yep. And to become a nation that you're describing would be to literally rip that heart out (laughs) and replace it with something different. And that would be death to, in in this very oversimplistic analogy, that is death for a group of people. And so that that's our challenge right and perhaps that's our demise i don't know you don't know we don't know but well, but how do we how do we navigate this when there's a real people with real feelings on the other side of this that feel like their privilege and and way of life is is disappearing
0: um well i think it all starts with conversation and education um uh, bringing people in to consider something different than what they know uh, awaken them to the reality that some of the things that they understand are simply thoughts and ideas and strategies that they inherited, not ones that they've investigated. Um, I was born poor in America. I was born in entrenched American poverty. I was born the day my mother told me, you know, that first winter, not having heat in a house in the third largest city in America, in a home that was sold on contract to my grandmother. Through racial segregation practices in the mor- in the in the housing uh, sector, like that's my that's my genesis story, and many people would say that the fact that I am where I am right now is uh, proof positive of the value of competition, and the value of independence, and the value of American ideals. But um, in many ways, you know, I'm not where I'm at because of America. In many ways, I'm at where I'm at in spite of America. Um, I got here fighting and clawing. Um, I got here watching my family die. I got here watching my cousins and brothers be incarcerated because of the color of their skin. As other people said, it had nothing to do with race. They were criminals anyway. Um, I got here fighting. I got here clawing. And I came to this point, and the only thing I want after all of that is less of all of that. I don't want that for any other person. It shouldn't take as much as it took for me to get here and talk to you about these things. It shouldn't take this. And if it does take that, then we need to stop patting ourselves on the back and talking about how great of a nation we are. Because if my testimony becomes the American story, then we have to rewrite the history books. And this is what I mean when like those types of people exist in the world, and I wish they had a better understanding of the cost that some people are paying that are not because they can't compete it's because there's a foot on their neck. That foot is injustice. That foot is systemic racism. That foot is a corrupt economic model. That foot is, is real estate disenfranchisement. That foot is voter suppression. That foot has nothing to do with their character, their integrity, their willpower. It ain't got nothing to do with none of that. It's the cards they were dealt that are dealt in America. And it is out of the American culture of hegemony, of economic independence and exclusion and hyper-competition and an insistence on being identity agnostic to things that are of, a greatly affected by identity, that then creates this possibility for all of these challenges we're seeing in the social space. And that's what I think will be the, the end of America. It's not that our it's not just that everybody was poor. It's that we didn't know how to agree about how to share. Like that's the thing that 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 I wish they understood. Moving forward from that. Um, You know, I'm often thinking about this quote, you know, (laughs) it's actually from a a socialist and they asked him, you know, what, how would you define socialism in one sentence? One sentence, how would you define it? And I'm like, this is going to be hard. So I'm I'm listening in. Um, And he said, each produces according to their capacity and receives according to their need. Each produces according to their capacity and receives according to their need. Do you know the level of honesty you'd have to have to live like that? I'm six foot five, I'm six foot five. I'm a tall dude. Each produces according to their capacity means that I'm the guy who's always got to go get the stuff off the top shelf. <laughs> and I don't want to do that, you know? But that's my capacity, because I'm taller. Uh, right? And that's a very <laughs> simplistic way of looking at it, right? But it's just looking at like, I didn't ask for this, but I do have it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. right? each record- receives according to their need. When you think about what it means to need seed stage investment in your company and to know that only 7 cents out of every dollar in the nation can go to a person who looks like you, I need more support. I didn't grow up in a rich family. I didn't grow up with a big network. My father was a, tried to be an entrepreneur. It wasn't. He wasn't successful. Many of the reasons were not because he wasn't smart. He gave me my intelligence. He was Black in America and brilliant. And there was a time, like my grandfather's era, where if you were smart and Black, you'd be hanging from a tree. Now we're asked to appreciate that path, that I don't hang from a tree because I'm smart and I can talk, but I still call out the things that created the injustices and the the roadblocks to my path that create the same roadblocks to paths for a lot of other people in America. And it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable. it's um, I wish that more people would tap into a community definition uh, that was more humane, uh, not just human, right? Where we say, well, we're humans. We're, we we got to compete. We're still animals. Yeah, but we can also be humane. And, and, and I got a little extra in certain ways here in this world. I got some extra privileges and gifts, and, I, and that gives me a greater capacity and I can give more. But I also have different needs that other people don't have. And I need those things in that way more than others do. And I just wish that more people would think like that rather than teach their kids, well, if you don't go get a job, you're gonna be a loser, go compete. And that'd be the whole point of America. And if you do wanna be nice, give back to charity after you've made a ton of money without asking anybody how you made that money.
1: Your your definition of socialism um it to me what i hear as a assumed necessity for that to function properly would be a network of relationships where everyone valued everyone equally otherwise you would be unwilling to only take what you what you need
0: value them equitably equality and equity are not the same thing equity is that that differential in need Right. Equity means that, you know, equity is what happens when you get, you know, you have you have three kids of different ages in a house. Right. Like I'm, I'm the youngest of five. Um, mm-hmm. When I showed up, my mom and dad were like, OK, pause. This little thing here is very new, very vulnerable. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to pause on some of the other purchases. We're going to have to pause on some of the other things because Xavier's here and he can't do for himself. He has a higher need and we have the capacity. Now, how did that sound to some potentially some of my older brothers? Why are you taking from me? Why are you what, what did I do? Why do I deserve to be hurt like this? And we know why we would say to that brother, you don't understand what it means to be in a family. You don't understand community. And you also don't understand that you didn't make half the stuff you got anyway. <laughs> like at the end of the day. But look, it's a baby. We need to not treat it equally, because if we treated it equally, it would die. We need to treat it equitably, meaning we do need to put even more resources to it than we give to some of the others. And that will be for some time until it gets on its feet and then it can walk. So I'm not a a big proponent of equality because harm has not been equal. If harm was equal, then the solutions to harm can be equal. But harm has not been equal. It has been segregated. It has been different. And so the response to harm in the solution must be equitable, not equal.
1: That is a really good point in and of itself. <laughs> Thank you for highlighting that. But then to the point of, of the idea of socialism, that makes it even more challenging if we must not just be equal but equitable yeah. for that pattern to work. I, I honestly just have a hard time even imagining that working in a small community, much yeah. less a nation. So given that reality, we we can fight that reality if we want to. But given that reality, how do we move forward? We must incorporate other ways of operating at, instead of just believing on this idea that, oh, we're just going to we're going to be better people tomorrow, which yeah. I'm not sure we are. I think we're humans, we're messy. We have great capacity for wonderful things we also have capacity for very horrible things. And so how do we live in society with these two oil and water (laughs) together, mixed together in in this bucket of humans?
0: Well, the first thing I'd say is I've never seen socialism work. Um, The second thing I'll say is I've never seen capitalism work. We don't live in a free market capitalist system. If it was, it'd actually be race neutral. It'd be gender neutral. My father would have been able to compete 30 years ago if we were actually in a capitalist system. But he wasn't. My grandfather would have been able to compete if we were actually in a capitalist system. But he couldn't. This is not capitalism. This is why I said hegemony. This is why we talk about things like white supremacy, which is not the Ku Klux Klan. It's simply saying that all the definitions and standards and norms and and precedents go through the lens of what people who identify as white would say is the way the world should be or the way the country should be. And we will incrementally include more diverse voices into that only after they fight hard and long enough, both in the legislature and in the boardroom, uh, to force our hand or to make it publicly um, untenable uh, for us to do so because people would put us to shame. Um, That's not not capitalism. (laughs) I studied capitalism. This is not it. This is not capitalism. This is also not socialism. Now, I say all of this to say I've never seen any economic model truly work as it was written. That's not to say that they cannot be pursued, and they cannot be profitable, and they cannot be functional for community. What I have experienced is that there is a greater conversation around the value of a human versus the value of a labor unit when you're not talking about capitalism. And that creates my interest. In alternatives to capitalism, I understand capitalism because I have to engage with my clients. I understand capitalism because I'm building a company in a capitalist system, and my company is for profit, <laughs> right? So, like that nuance has to still be there. I and now want to go to your second point around like, yeah, but humans are messy, <laughs> right? Right? So I want to I want to I want to move into this question around human messiness once we've sort of laid the ground, the framework for. I'm not claiming expertise or experience in either economic model. Because I have not the expertise in either economic model. And I also don't have the expertise and the experience. And no one does. Even Russia was not a pure socialist economy when it was communist. America is not a pure capitalist economy now. Um, Humans and their messiness, I think, comes back to this question around how how do we teach people conflict identification? conflict management and what it means to be a part of a community when we teach people the whole point of life is to do better than your parents the whole point of life is to get a really great job to make a lot of money so that you can get the house you want and nobody can tell you what you have to do or what you can do what you can't do like if that's the point of life then we are literally teaching the, the, the opposite of what it means to be in community. We are setting people up to assume their neighbor is their competition rather than their partner. Hmm. We're setting them up from jump. When you start, you know, you're, you, you got this child at an early age and you're like, hey, make sure to share your toys. And then you're shaming the heck out of them when they don't go into the world and compete 15 years later. And they got this huge identity crisis now sitting in the counselor's mm-hmm. office at their college. That's why. <laughs> They want to share. They saw the benefits of sharing. You talked about sharing and all of these sorts of things. You took them on the volunteer trips, all of these types of things. They saw the least of these and they were wondering why they had so much and some people have so little. They, they did all of that and then you jump them into the economic model and you're like, now go fight for it. <laughs> like you got to hunt that job down you got to get those sales you got to you got to make sure you hit those KPIs you better you better fight for it if you don't fight for it you're not a person you don't fight for it you're not a man you don't you don't deliver right now you're not even american we compete made in america compete with those chinese people like you're creating these identity crises because those things don't make sense together and until we remember and insist on an economic model that does not force us to forgo what we all know is true when we come together and it's not about who's wearing what clothes or what, what's the coolest thing to have or who's got the biggest house and all these things, we don't base our, our attraction model, whether it be for jobs or relationships or otherwise on accumulation. It's a setup for failure and war. And that goes back to how, what, you, what do you think the point of life is? I don't think humans have to be as messy as they are. I think we teach humans to be messy because we teach them confusion, because we hold them to standards that are inherently contradictory. We hold each other to contradictory standards. And those contradictions don't happen in the blink of an eye. They happen over time and with maturation of your life. And the game switches at some point. And we don't, we're not consistent with the value of community. We value it at some ages, we don't in others. We value it for some people, but not for others. And anytime we talk about community and economics, people assume I'm talking about communism. I'm like, no. What's the community conversation in capitalism then? What's the functional? What's the, what's the conversation for trauma-informed care in a capitalist model? Or is it just about health care premiums? When will the human show up in your calculus? Like, that's, that's what makes it messy. But this is, Brad, this is a choice. I've traveled the world, and I've seen that the way we live in America is a choice. We don't have to teach our children like we do. We don't have to compete with everyone immediately. We don't have to insist on independence rather than inter- interdependence. And it's not as if those things are creating a better country for us. We're all, we, we don't even trust our neighbors. Look at the Second Amendment, the whole basis of people defending that is, I'm afraid of people who live in my country. And I have the right to kill them, not the responsibility to understand, restore, and create a, a, an actual social model, community model, and governance model that reduces the probability of them stepping outside with a gun and coming into my house. Like, why that doesn't snap off in people's heads? Like, maybe I, maybe we should create a country where there's not this assumption of the importance of violence. But that's not American.
1: Well, if there's if there's trickle down economics, maybe there's something like trickle up community community economics. Or it's,
0: so. I think that's what the philanthropists <laughs> think they're doing.
1: Um. So so stay with me here. I mean, I know that was goofy, but <laughs> what's what's one thing? So let's say someone's listening to this and they're like, you know what, Xavier, I disagree. Socialism's uh, evil. Uh, capitalism is better. And, you know, I, I might be somewhere in the middle of I think capitalism is great at growing the pie. I think it's horrible at sharing. I think social is not that great at sh- growing the pie. I think it's pretty darn good at sharing. And so you, I, I see it as like a, a messy middle. Um, but so let's say someone listens to conversation like I, oh, Xavier, I disagree with a lot of things you say, but I kind of like what you what you just said about I grew up learning values, and then I go in the workforce, and I have to be this uh, this aggressive salesperson or whatever, the way you described it so eloquently. What's one thing someone could take away, instead of just voting someone else in power in three years, that's really not going to change much in their community. What's one thing they could do in their community to perhaps figure out these contradictions and work through some of the stuff that we're talking about?
0: i mean you know just make it personal first right like it's like you know when 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 we work with companies around their diversity equity inclusion strategy or their corporate social responsibility strategy we get to this question around supplier diversity uh, procurement um and you know knowing that the balance sheets of most major corporations and and just most most companies in general not even major corporations you know small businesses um for the most part you know they're they're primarily looking through the lens of Lowest cost, fastest delivery, <laughs> right? Um, and usually, those are those are that's possible for folks who've already been in the game. You know, that's a lot of those white-owned companies that have you know decades of experience or generations of experience or a huge number of backers um, that can move that quickly. Like things that we like, Justice Inform doesn't move that fast, and that's simply because we we've not been around very long and we don't have the, the financial support. We've got a really great bottom line now, um, and we're, we're we're growing really quickly. Um, but that's not without a lot of challenges. Um, the reason why I say make it personal when I'm talking about big companies is because folks often like demand supplier diversity or they're like, we need more diversity in the workplace or we need this company to care, more corporate social responsibility. And then they go home and do the opposite. Like they literally do the opposite. Like they go home and they're never looking at their, they're, they're, they're demanding that the accountant look at QuickBooks at work, but then they get home and they look at their probably JP Morgan Chase account and there's no there's no diversity in their spending. They're not like insisting on uh, 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 having more women entrepreneurs as the people who benefit from their household discretionary income. You know, in fact, they probably demanded diversity at work and then went home and self segregated in their own neighborhood. I prefer to live in a mostly white community, but I insist on diversity at work, right? Like, and they'll have whatever justifications, whatever reasons, whatever it is, right? Well, I, I want safety or schools or what. I get it. I get it. But the reality is is the societal effect, you chose to self-segregate. That has an effect. You can talk to the sociologist for the data. Um, but I would say make it personal. And, and don't make it someone else's job. Lean into that old American thing of if it is to be, it's up to me. Get independent on that. Get competitive about that. Um, start to focus on how you and your personal life are able to move the needle rather than saying well the issue is so big one person can't stop it that's exactly right one person can start it
1: awesome uh i i say let's leave it at that i think we're getting close to the end of time here um i i certainly i really appreciate all these thoughts xavier it's um from the small things of like tap me on the shoulder and let me know it's equity not equality and uh, some of the deeper conversations, I've definitely learned a lot. I hope I hope some of the folks listening have too.
0: Well, I'm glad. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for hitting me up, and uh, I I do hope that this um, this project is one that that stimulates not just more thought because I think we got a lot of thought. Look at how many podcasts there are. Um, yeah. But I think it stimulates different thought, um, and again, like. It's a call-in. I hope people don't look at this stuff as like some call-out. It's like, no, it's a call-in. I'm saying like our relationship model doesn't work. Show me how it does work. The point of, you know, we, we can't grow this country or heal its harms with charity. You know, that's not going to work. The philanthropists made their money, how? And sometimes pirating entire communities. And now the pirates are philanthropists, and now we got to name the school after them. Are you, are you, this is the best we can do? Like, this is the best. Like, there's got to be more. There's just got to be more. I don't know, man. The urgency of my identity as a Black person makes me want to push the bounds. You know, I want to live and I want my family to live. So I'm always asking these questions. I'm thankful that you're asking these questions and you're putting this together uh, to provoke and prod other people to ask them, too. So thank you for that.
1: Certainly. Yeah, I think we all have a feeling something is awry, no matter... Who you are, and so it's time to yeah. time to start asking some of those harder questions. For sure. All right, man. Thank right. you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this conversation and you'd like to find more of Xavier's stuff, head to Instagram. He's on there at Professor X, and that's phonetic Professor E C K S, or Justice Informed on Instagram as well, or on LinkedIn. He's there at Xavier Ramey, and also Justice Informed. Thanks for watching to the very end. We really appreciate it. If you want to see more content, like, subscribe, tag the notification bell, rate and review for on podcasts, And also let us know in the comments below who you'd like us to interview next. We we'll read all of them and we'd love to hear some feedback. So see you next week.